Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding on air with my co-founder, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you're tuning in with us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Of course, if you want to get all the content we push out, the best place to get that is my Twitter, at Focused Compound on Twitter. And then if you're listening on the podcast side of things, a rating and review goes a long way for us, and we definitely appreciate um, everybody that's listening. So today is April 1st, and the market's closed down negative 4.41%. Happy, happy April Fool's Day, Jeff. Mm -hmm. It was uh, a volatile day. Obviously, yesterday after the close, Trump came out and uh, gave his press conference. And quite honestly, the conference sounded a lot uh, more of a, a, a gloom, gloomy, you know, type of, um, you know, attitude. I felt like I felt like he was saying, you know, this the next two weeks is going to be very, you know, hard for Americans. And it sounded like he was. You know, his, his sort of tone has totally shifted to the virus. And I think that scared markets. And, you know, I don't want to talk day to day gyrations, but we are going just to say what happened in the markets on the day. And it did close negative uh, 4%. Um, in today's podcast, what we'll do is we'll go over the focus compound daily, which you had um, or which I sent out. And if you're not familiar with that, to get access to this, go to focuscompound.com and enter your email or follow me on Twitter. I tweet it out every day. Uh, people email into Jeff questions all the time. I imagine Jeff's getting flooded with questions and then we will send it out to everybody if we think it's worthy for other people to read. Um, and in the memo, I usually have a few links I thought was interesting. And Jeff, um, news came out today that apparently China, in case nobody knew this, uh, China, they hid the extent of the coronavirus outbreak to the rest of the world. And that came out uh, today. I think the White House found, found out about it uh, maybe about a week ago, last week. Um, but yeah, they, they lied to the rest of the world. Um, yeah, so I, if this is the report I think it is, then it's um, a leaked uh, briefing from the CIA. So they're saying yeah. this people who are briefed from the CIA. The truth is that the CIA, when we first spoke about coronavirus, you and me, uh, long before we talked about it on air and stuff, uh, there had already been news reports that the CIA uh, thought that China was downplaying the virus. So the CIA has people all around the world who work in different offices, and it has people who are open source officers and things like that who read all sorts of news things and report about them back, sort of like uh, analyze the news and stuff. So people inside the U.S. government get notice a lot earlier about the CIA's opinion of whether things a country is saying are true or untrue, whether they're downplaying it, why they're doing certain things they're doing, what they, their future plans might be, stuff like that. And so, I, I mean, unfortunately, it seems like health officials and stuff around the world took information from China and plugged it into their models. Um, so that's not good, what happened. But as far as the idea that people had doubts about um, the, both the actual number of cases and the actual number of deaths in Wuhan and even throughout other parts of China, I think that that had been known by the intelligence um, agencies for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, it, there, was even, there was even some reporting from inside China by reporters that already had serious questions about whether they were um, classifying a lot of deaths as not having to do with the virus because there was an unusual number of uh, 
cremation and stuff like that activities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that came, that came out today. Yeah. So, Um, I mean, I think that some people in the government have probably known about that for a while and had doubts about that, but, mm -hmm. but it is true. Like the media reports on it, you know, they compare the number of cases in the U S the number in China, the death rate in one country to another, they may, all the countries may not report it as accurately. All the countries don't test as many people. Not every country classifies everyone the same way. Uh, you know, even with whether China was hiding something or not, um, they certainly openly were saying that they weren't, if people didn't have symptoms, but they tested positive, they weren't counting them. Whereas other countries count that a positive test, they count. So, you know, just things like that were counted differently anyway. So I've, I mean, I've always had that issue with like counting the fatality rates between different um, countries. I don't know that it really applies that well. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that came out today around, I think, around noon. Um, and you're, you know, I think the what I chose to go out in the daily today, I think bodes well with what we're going to talk about. Howard Marks, his memo um, came out. And I think before we actually hit on that, I think it'd be good for you to talk about this uh, Focus Compound Daily because I just definitely found it interesting and something that you have really said uh, since the beginning and when the markets crashed. And somebody sent you in an email saying, why aren't you finding stocks to buy right now? And, you know, went through his whole question. And your answer was stocks were expensive before the virus hit and the economic shutdowns to slow the spread of the virus are endangering a lot of otherwise sound businesses. And, you know, I thought that was interesting. And you have, you know, you've talked about this for a couple of weeks now, how, okay, we're back at 2018 lows, uh, was at one point. And you're like, did I think stocks were cheap at when, you know, the market was at 2018 lows? You're like, no, I did not. Um, but you went into your thought process behind, um, you know, why you think stocks aren't cheap right now, but do you want to hit on that a little bit? Sure. Um, and so and one thing also I want to say is that there's a link at the bottom of these things that says, ask Jeff a question. And I'm definitely looking for more questions for people to ask. So that would be good, especially if it's a more general question instead of just about a specific stock. You can ask about a specific stock, but more general questions are usually appreciated more. Um, So anyone who reads this, if you want to click that, that would be helpful. Uh, Yeah. So the reason why I'm not finding as much to buy, I guess, is, is two things. One, so I actually just the other day, just yesterday, made up a list of about 300 or so stocks by doing a screen and then a wider list of about 700 stocks. And I went through it comparing them to things that I saw more in the 2008, 2009 period. And the prices just have not come down on high quality stocks and things like that enough to be in the same range as that. So there's a lot of stocks that are fairly high PE ratios still. And then my expectation would be that these PE ratios, although they're supposedly trailing PE ratios, they're 2019 PE ratios that I'm looking at, are really likely to be the PE ratios looking at like 2022. Because in many of these cases, I don't expect the company to exceed the earnings that it had in 2019 until 2022. I would expect that in 2020 and probably 2021, they will not have higher earnings than they did in 2019. So you're really looking at, to me, I'm looking at these as forward earnings and not just forward for 2020 or even 2021, but really forward earnings going out to 2022. So that makes them pretty expensive if you think that last year's, if the trailing P's that we're seeing are really the 2022 P's. Um, and that's my best guess in many cases. For some companies, that won't be true. For some companies, they'll be in better shape in two years. Uh, a lot of those companies are just the ones that retain almost 100% of their customers. They raise rates and they're some sort of like service company that you can't really much get out of. But um, for most of the other companies, that's not true. 
So I did look at some and mention them in this email about whether I thought they were attractive or not. Um, and what's interesting also is that the, this, uh, some of these companies are quite a lot off the bottoms that they hit to. Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual to find, I just wrote up for the website Bunzel and that stock was down probably 40% from its 52 week high when I wrote it up, but it was also 30% above its 52 week low. Now it's 52 week low. It might've been attractive, but, uh, it's a great company. Uh, Bunzel it's raised its, uh, dividend 27 years in a row, raised earnings 20 years in a row, probably grown close to 10% a year for a couple decades. Um, great business, but it's number one market that it serves is food service. And that's in the US uh, in the EU. That's basically its entire business. So um, it is those countries. And then it, it has like a third of its business in food service. And then other stuff in retail, almost half the business is probably exposed to stuff that'll be shut down. So there are businesses like that. What do you do with that? Um, I did talk in this email a little bit about businesses that maybe wouldn't be hurt. So like Hilton Food, but even Hilton Food, I'm not sure if it won't be hurt because Hilton Food makes most of its money from red meat and there might be a shift away from red meat, but it serves just groceries. So if people are interested, there are companies like that. Hilton Food does only serve supermarkets. It packs meat for supermarkets and um, it does not pack any meat that goes into restaurants. Um, but a lot of the stocks that look cheap um, aren't that predictable and are really facing a much tougher times this time. So in general, I, I'm just, it's not that I don't think there's anything out there to find. Volatility is great. And it means that some things might be expensive while other things might be cheap. You always want volatility because it opens up the possibilities of getting some cheap stocks suddenly. So I'm very open to the idea that sometime in this quarter or something, there'll be opportunities to buy stocks that I like. But at the same time, overall in the market and stuff like that, I'm saying that it's very, very different from 2008, 2009, in that both the stocks are generally more expensive and the effects on their earnings are likely to be higher. So we both have a higher price. And I also think we have less value against that price for most mm-hmm. companies. Yeah. The problem with Hilton Food Group is, and I can pull it up, whoops, is that I don't even think it's fallen much, right? Yeah, so it briefly fell to almost, I don't know, 700 or something, but it spent almost all its time around 1,000. If my internet wants to load, what's going on here? Okay, it doesn't want to load. But yeah, I looked at today, and I I think it's above 1,000. Yeah, so it was. That's not much different than where it started before all this happened, which uh-huh. isn't the wrong thing for the market to react. I think that's right compared to most other stocks. Um, but uh, it, I, but I just think that um, that's weird. It, it's you know, it, so it's not necessarily that cheap. Um, uh-huh. That's the only problem. I mean, it, it's attractive. I you know, I, I like it as a stock, but it's just pretty expensive. If we did the math on it you know, assuming no decline for them. And the prices you said, that's a price of 20 times earnings or something. Um, and it may be insulated well, so 20 times earnings might not be a, an inappropriate PE. But um, And there were others that I saw in the email. I talked about how to joinery in the UK. That did yeah. get down at one point to a PE of like 11, which is a great PE to buy a stock like that. But remember, it is 100% tied to home renovations in the UK. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if 2020 and 2021 are, are worse years for it than where it was in 2022. So it might be an 11 p.m. and actually I think it's a little pricier than that now. But it will take a couple of years of waiting to get back up. 
So it's not quite as cheap as it appears to be. Um, so I just think it might be pricing in a lot or the markets might be pricing in a lot um, of a quick recovery without a lot of yeah. damage. I was going to say, so you're pretty much the way that you're handicapping it and thinking about it is you don't think a lot of these companies will get back to their you know trailing 12-month earnings until 2022, let's call it. And essentially, if you're paying, I don't know, 10 times or, or let's, okay, use this example, 11 times for Howden Joinery, their TTM, right? That is last year's trailing 12 months, which right. is, you think is going to drastically, um, you know, they're going to drastically underperform that, which make the, you, you're paying a higher price for that, you know? Yeah. And I, I really focus on like the, how long out it will take. So I wouldn't mind buying a stock that'll have no earnings this year. But if you're paying 11 times what earnings will be in two years, you know, that's um, it's, it's cheap. It's, it's still cheap. It's not bad, you know, but that isn't all that different from paying 15 times earnings for a fast growing business in normal times because it'll still be at the same level of P of like 11 or something in a couple of years. So I just, you know, it, it pushes the, the destruction of value that happens or earnings or whatever does push the price up. Because it means that paying that's something like a P of eleven or twelve or something today. Um, if I don't think that P will that that E will be reached again for two years, that isn't all that different than if you bought a stock at like fifteen in normal times and it kept on growing. Because it usually takes only a couple of years to start earning, you know, one twelfth of what you paid for it in a few years instead of one fifteenth. You know, I mean, stocks mm-hmm. normally grow, so um, so it just it makes it harder that way. And then also just they're not usually as cheap as they were, say, in 2008, 2009. Now, they were very cheap, and they performed great for 10 years, most stocks. So we're somewhere in between. That doesn't mean it's not a time. You shouldn't buy anything now. But it just means that it's nowhere near the kind of attractiveness I saw in 2008, 2009, even though a lot of people talk about it as a big buying opportunity. For most stocks, I'm not seeing it. For some industries we talk about in stock, absolutely, it's very cheap. And those are the more, you know, like... um, distressed industries and there might be specific uh-huh. stocks but overall like an index or something it's not looking attractive to me and so that's why i talked about in there the companies that i might have bought but the main thing is that i finished that um response up with is so far there's been nothing that i regret you know not buying there. i don't know how much we're we were up from the bottom but there definitely aren't any stocks that i go oh i wish i had bought that mm-hmm. you know at that moment there's none that i look back on march and say oh i had a real opportunity to buy in march and i didn't do it no stock fits that category yeah. No, I think that was a good way to conclude it. Um, so yeah, let's go through the Howard Marks memo, which I encourage everybody to read. Uh, you could just Google it and you'll find it. It just came out the other day and it's great. And you know, his, um, his attitude, I felt like he's kind of shares the same, um, opinion that you do, Jeff. It sounds like he's not, uh, he doesn't sound, you know, optimistic on the economy or definitely the market in the short term. And he was really just weighing, I guess, the difference between, the bull case and the bear case, right? The positive case and the negative case. Is there anything that stood out to you in this memo? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that stood out. So the memo is, is uh, what's the name of the memo here? Just so people can uh, where do, uh, which way now? Yeah, Which way now? So yeah, I thought he did a better job of explaining mostly the same sort of things I talk about on the podcast. So I thought it'd be good for people to read it. Yeah. Um, so he goes into more detail about it. But, but basically what he says is that a lot of the things priced in, in terms of the positive case, um, are for a pretty quick um, uh, 
pretty quick recovery containment yeah yeah Yeah. and and in terms of an economic response too not just containment of the virus and that that happens fairly quickly that things aren't shut down and then things get back to normal but then things get normal pretty quickly and i don't disagree that i don't say that it won't happen and i don't think that he says it won't happen either but it does seem like that is the basic um assumption that you start with to then get the prices that a lot of people find attractive in stocks. So I just mean, it's almost as if there's a hundred percent waiting to the idea that we're going to be recovering really quickly on this. And that's sort of more the thing that I caution about is even if there's a 51% chance that what he describes will exactly happen, that's not a very good case for buying stocks because it may be the most likely case, but then when you weight the probabilities of other things that could happen, the range of out of negative outcomes is a lot more negative than anything that happened in 2008, 2009 for non-financial companies. So there are you know, possibilities for things to happen that are a lot worse um, for a lot of the companies that I look at than was ever the case in 2008, 2009. And so I don't think that today's prices are inappropriate for a stock market that expects there will be you know, only a technical recession. And then um, back to growth. The prices seem about right for something that isn't really expecting a recession. So it's, it's, it's prices the seem pent about up right. demand. It's the pent up de- Yeah, so that might happen. That, I mean, there'll be pent up demand for some things. He talks about that. Sure, and there'll of definitely be pent up demand for, for some things in a big way. I'm just saying. Um, I'm making fun of our president, if yeah. you know that. Okay. No, uh, I, but I mean, I think, but that's very true about the pent up demand. There, but there's also, you know, um, yeah, but that's if we have this V-shaped recovery, right? I mean, the positive case, right? He goes through the positive case and the negative case. We can read off the positive case. He even says it right here. Every forecast I've seen for the positive case assumes that the virus will be brought under control within three months or so and that yeah. the curve is flattened and then turn around. And then we have this you know, sort of V-shaped recovery where, yeah, it may be terrible for Q2, right? Um, says who the earnings of SP 500 companies uh, down 120% in Q2 thinks they may rise roughly 80% in Q3 on a quarter over quarter basis, um, which will only be down just 20% from 2019, right? And then rise uh, by a further 50% in, in Q4. So, I mean, is that you think that's what the market is currently pricing in? And again, I do agree, um, you know, that every anything at this point matters or in my opinion, is, you know, what happens with the virus is it spread more, right? We already have the stimulus, we have 0% interest rates, we have, and he hits on it later on, you know, low gasoline prices, all of this stuff, where I guess if they could contain the virus and get the economy going again, well, then maybe stuff is cheap, you know? But if the negative case comes out to be true, and it's all doom and gloom, then you're probably going to get an opportunity to buy, you know, companies that everyone's looking at a lot cheaper. Yeah, that that's could could be true. Um, and he sort of says that that if he had to guess, he would guess that there'll be opportunities to buy at cheaper prices. Um, I I think um, the, the the biggest issue is to me that if you look at prices overall, like for the index and stuff, they're not attractive. If we weren't in a recession, they're okay, but they're not attractive. So if you look at things like you want to use Schiller PE or you want to use um, uh, price to sales of the overall market or, you know, whatever you could use a market capture GDP like Buffett's used in the past. They're okay. And with very, very low interest rates, they might be attractive, but they're not unusually attractive. So 
if you have a hundred percent chance or whatever of, of normal times, it's okay, but it's not a great buying opportunity. But if you have any chance of unusually bad things happening, um, then I don't think that's priced in at all. So a lot of it is the price. I mean, if the price was a lot lower, that would be fine um, that you have a lot of bad things likely to happen. Um, we can certainly invest and buy things for long term with tons of very bad news likely to be happening soon. So I know people work up a lot about that. And this is more people who trade things and stuff about when they think the peak of pessimism will be or something. Will it be at the peak of the uh, deaths? Will it be at the peak of um, uh, the bad economic news? Will it be before that? Who knows? And there's some logic to people buying stuff now too, because historically probably buying like a quarter or so before the end of a recession, something like that roughly, probably is like the best time to buy. So if you think you entered a recession and you will exit that recession in like three months, you know, one quarter, basically uh, four months, basically the end of the first quarter and then the entire second quarter basically will be a recession. Then it is a signal normally to buy when you're within that close four months or less of the end of a, of a recession. It won't be reported to later that you're out of the recession. So if people think that is happening and aren't as worried more about like the price, but are worried more about timing it, then yeah, it's a logical time to be buying. At what point do you, because everyone's saying like, oh, you can't time the market, you can't time the market, right? And that's true. Mm -hmm. For you, it's really, I'm not timing the market. It's, I just don't think things are cheap, right? Yeah, I don't think things are cheap. I would be happy to buy things that were cheap enough. Um, I mean, but what is, what's that cheap uh, area for you? And I guess just to generalize it, let's say on like a Schiller PE where you're like, okay, there's a lot of doom and gloom bright, uh, baked into the price. You know, we're investing for the long term. You know, let's put capital to work. What, what does that look like to you? I mean, for the entire market on a Schiller PE, expecting the kind of um, recession that we might have and stuff, a normal price would probably be 10. So, um, yeah, a normal price would probably be 10, uh, for the market. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly what that is. I would think it, I don't know if it's quite 50% below our prior lows, but it's something close to that. Um, but again, and also when you add those two together, I, how do you know how far we were down at the bottom? Um, before in percentages, what was it? Twenty? It was close to thirty percent, wasn't it? Okay, so twenty-five plus. Yeah, so fifty percent below a previous thirty percent below is sixty-five percent down. Um, so yeah, I mean, in a bad recession, stocks may drop from the top to the bottom by sixty-five percent. That sounds more concerning than it is. You don't even usually within the same year that you hit a very low point, you're already rising from that. So in many cases, like um, 2008, 2009, the worst year might only show up as down 30 some percent, even though you may have been down two thirds or something over an entire uh, yeah. cycle. Peak so yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not unusual. I mean, if we were down a third or something, it's not unusual to be down two thirds at some point if the bad things described here happen. Now, if the bad things don't happen, then it's very unusual to be down a third at all. Um, so already we were too low. Um, if you don't have negative things happen. I mean, of course, we've already had negative things happen. So some of this is just a question of how long it lasts. Sure. Um, you know, so we've already had major increases in, in um, unemployment and, and decreases in other sorts of things. There's um, some positive news, though. I mean, so far, confidence has been 
high, whether it's business confidence or consumer confidence or anything that they've hold has been surprisingly high considering what's happening. So um, there's a lot more optimism generally in the market uh, and in the economy and in the market uh, than I'd expect. So that can potentially be very good if things, uh, if there's, you know, if things get back to normal, people may spend a lot because of that. If they're, I mean, the confidence levels have not declined in either business or consumer stuff anywhere near what they did in 2008 and 2009. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was good in this letter when he was summing it up. He actually posted a tweet um, from Twitter, and I thought it would be good to read, and we could talk about you know what you think is more likely, right? Because, I mean, what do you think is more likely, right? The bull case, everything opens in six weeks. The unemployed can go back to old jobs, or as true Americans, bootstrap. The economy gets back to normal within six months. Uh, Two trillion in PE, dry powder, low gas prices, and 0% interest rates uh, pour fuel onto the economy. The roaring 20s means the 2020s now, which I thought was that was uh, clever. And mm-hmm. then he said the bear case, unemployment goes to 20%. Everything does not go back to normal before at least a year or two. And in the meantime, there's a huge demand shock. The effects of the lockdown on businesses as well as the oil shock create depression-like conditions, right? So I thought that was a really good bull case and bear case as well. You know, And when thinking about what is more likely, I mean, can you really see everything opening back up within six weeks or in six weeks and back to normal and, you know, we're just well on our way? Uh, no. Yeah, but, I would agree with that. <laughs> but, but I will. It's interesting they mentioned the 1920s because it is true that 100 years ago, 100 years ago, pretty close to 100 years ago today, um, the, uh, the U.S. economy did enter a depression uh, in 1920. It only lasted for maybe 18 months. There's some disputes over how long it lasted, how deep it was, things like that. But it was deep. It was very deep. It was bad. Um, And it came out of it really sharply and had an incredible boom phase to the 20s. And and then, of course, the Great Depression happened. But um, so when we talk about things like, I mean, they use, you know, like talking about booms or about depressions and things. Those are just words that, you know, um, I don't think it really matters when we say depression, recession, recession. you know, a technical recession of a quarter or whatever. It's just things about how far and deep things go down and how quickly they recover. It's true. This is not like other times. So you could have something that's much deeper and then you recover from that. They also mentioned the bull case things that are true about why you can have inflation and stuff. Now that was a lot less likely in the past. So there may be an opportunity. Governments have kind of wanted more inflation to get it at some point based on some of the things that are happening. Um, there'll be some parts of the economy where there'll be enough disruption that some consumer prices might have issues. Um, I don't think that's the inflation that they were hoping for exactly if assets are deflating at the same time that, that, you know, prices on store shelves are going up. But, um, but, you know, I, I, I think the main thing is like the bull cases to me, I guess what I mean and why I like this memo is I think that you described the bull case and the bear case there. I think the bull case is priced in, and I don't think that the bear case is priced in. I think if that happens, what they said in the bull case, uh, the uh, returns for stocks for the next you know, several years will be okay, but they won't be a bull market type returns. That, you know, they, they may be from this. This is not the price at which you would start a bull market. <laughs> so, I mean, it just isn't. It's too high. So if you look back at where previous bull markets started and how long they can run and, and how much money you can make off them, they, they can't starting at levels like this. So, um, 
but you know, it can be a continuation of what we had before. Uh, so well said. Uh, yeah. Well said. I like that. So you wanted to go over Haynes brands. Um, yep. and that's a stock, uh, that we can, uh, go over ticker HBI. Um, if you are wearing underwear, I'm sure you have Haynes brands on <laughs> potentially, maybe I don't want to, I don't want to assume. I don't know why this keeps, uh, crashing on me, but, uh, currently trading $7 and 39 cents. And we could go over the PE. PE is trading about five times earnings of, uh, 2019's earnings. Uh, why'd you want to go over this company, Jeff? Yeah. So this is one of the ones I was looking through a very long list of stocks. This is one of the very few that seemed cheap. Um, it is, however, risky in a sense. I don't know how risky though. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. It's one of the rare stocks that is at prices um, that remind me of what happened in 2008, 2009. So Haynes Brands, like you said, makes underwear. They also make um, activewear. So innerwear, which is um, they own underwear stuff under the Hanes name, but they also own various um, names of bras that you recognize too. So those are the two big innerwear businesses. And then they have activewear, which is basically like t-shirts. Um, that's like two thirds underwear, one third of the other stuff. And they sell through the places you expect, like Walmart and Target and, and Amazon and places like that and all the department stores and things. So most every place carries either Hanes or Fruit the Loom or both. So what's interesting is the company has a lot of debt, right? And the market cap, what are we on the market cap now? Three billion? A little less? Uh, 2.8 billion. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that's an old quote too. So it's like 6% lower than that or something from today. So um, the amount of debt that they have is actually, yeah, so 2.6 billion. So the amount of debt they have is actually higher than that. So most of their, if you take the price today of the stock at what it's valued and at the debt at its face value, the debt actually is the majority of the enterprise value. So that's the reason why it might be down a lot. But what's interesting, if we go back to the quick FS stuff about this stock, is that it's remarkably cheap. So if we go to, um, let's see, so if we go to the uh, cash flow statement, I can show you this. Okay. So cash flow, you can see cash flow from operations for the last three years, let's take as our average here, um, averaged out to be uh, minus the uh, property plan and equipment. Uh, if we exclude there was one big acquisition, then I would say that you're getting a number that on average is about 650 million probably. Um, last year was what, 800 million in cash flow minus 100 million in PP&E, uh, mm -hmm. so 700 million. So that's interesting that they've done six or 700 million a year in free cash flow for the last three years on average, because it means it's pretty cheap compared to its entire enterprise value. So I said, if we, yeah, let's go to the balance sheet. So go to the balance sheet. Yeah. So if we go to the balance sheet, you can see the debt right there. So the debt is the long-term debt that they have is what? 3.2 billion. Uh, 3.2 billion. And then they also have short-term debt of 281. So let's say 3.5 billion, a little bit more than that. So you have 3.5 billion in debt, right? That sounds like a lot, but you have as of last year, you had 700 million in free cash flow, meaning after they had paid interest on their debt, after they had paid um, taxes and things like that, actual cash left over in the business. That's actually not bad um, to cover. I mean, it's it's a lot of debt, but to, in a normal year, be covering your, um, be having free cash flow that is, your, your debt is only, um, what is that? Let's see. So that's a little over six, seven times their 
uh, free cash flow. I said 3.5. Yeah. So let's say five times your, your free cash flow. It's a lot of debt, but it's interesting that the stock has dropped as much as it has. But why has it dropped as much as it has? Well, they sell a lot through stores and things. So they could be really, really badly harmed by this. And then they have debt. Um, I think they have they should have a way of um, borrowing more money. Uh, but you see the stock price there? Yeah, we'll go to the five-year. That might be even better if you go to that. Let's see. So, yeah. So um, Technical difficulties. I don't know why. Yeah, so if we, if we go to five-year, we can see that five years ago, this was a $30 stock. And today, this is a $7 stock. So um, I just found it very interesting that it's gotten as cheap in terms of free cash flow versus its enterprise value. It could be completely disrupted because it, there won't, you know, people won't be going to these stores and buying these things. In the and short term. In the short term, but that could be enough to be a real problem for them because if you look, I mean, let's just look at their past numbers in terms of, uh, do you have the, um, uh, yeah, if you just go to the key ratios or something, that would be a good one probably. So just the overview key. thing. Yeah, or key ratios. Yeah, key ratios are fine. So if we look at their key ratios stuff, right, year-over-year year growth. Look at year-over-year year growth in revenue, let's say, okay, from 2010 to 2019. How stable is it generally? It grows. I mean, it grows every year, Yeah. right? Uh, we could look at, you know, diluted earnings per share, right? How much is their biggest drop in diluted earnings per share? They've dropped, what, 5% in a year at times? Uh-huh. Oh, that's sorry, diluted share count. Diluted EPS is confusing oh, sorry because about that. that has other items in it, yeah. Um, but if we looked at, uh, we could look at things like, let's see, um, EBITDA margin, right? So 11 to 15% operating margin, very stable. Free cash flow margin has some variation in it, but pretty stable, right? Um, return on tangible capital employed is, yeah, that, uh, you know, good. Very good, but they acquire other things. So, you know, that's always the problem in business like this. So anyway, I don't love the business or anything, but it's remarkably stable as a brand. And that's something that I can produce these earnings, but it in cash. And I don't think we'd have a problem, except it does have this issue of people can obviously put off purchases of underwear and, and activewear um, in person and in, uh, in online for a period of several months. Now, I don't think that in like a recession, they'd be very badly hurt, though. So it really is something that just has to do with how long retailers shut down and the fact they have a lot of debt. But when people ask about like the stressed industries and stuff like, would I buy stock in Carnival? Would I buy something like that? I don't think so. But here's a stock that is more um, has a debt problem and has a problem of currently the stuff they sell through is shut down. But you would think that after short term uh, survival of that, it should be fairly easy to work things out, whether that's with lenders or whatever, to be able to just extend things. So it does seem like a temporary problem, um, but has a lot of debt. It's not a very safe stock in a lot of ways, but it's very cheap. If you go to that overview... Um, if you go to that overview, you can see, like, for instance, enterprise value to free cash flow um, is eight times, right? Uh, uh -huh. So obviously, price to free cash flow is way lower than that, you know? Um, but th that's pretty cheap on an enterprise value basis. I mean, we normally look at stocks and people say, oh, eight times EV to EBITDA, that's a good price. This is times free cash flow. This is only eight times free cash flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, you get to a point eventually if the, mar if the market cap goes even lower that you could replace the entire capital structure with debt. Um, you, there are companies that have debt that's many, many times their free cash flow, uh, five, six, seven times their free cash flow, if they're as predictable as this. So um, 
I'm just pointing out because it's kind of one of the few distressed selling type stocks, like it's dropped so much. Um, that looks interesting from the perspective of if they could get over the initial problems that they have, meaning they don't have solvency problems through any shutdowns, then there's not a reason why they should do that poorly in an actual recession. Whereas a lot of companies we talk about, if they got through initial period, they still would have the problem with recovery. Here it looks interesting in terms of if they can get out of that. And it's one of the few stocks that looks like cheap as in like it's distressed. We're heading for a um, recession sort of thing. Like the pricing is pretty extreme here. This is more of the kind of thing you would expect in uh, seeing in a lot more stocks. And I see it in very few stocks that are big brand names and stuff. Here's one that I actually do see a really surprising price on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's, that is interesting. Um, I guess what would you need to, you know, figure out or get comfortable with to be like, oh, okay, this is something that I actually would want to add to my um, portfolio. Just the financing. If they could announce tomorrow that they got uh, that they had drawn on a credit line of whatever they had X amount of cash on hand, and some bank agreed to give them a term loan at a high rate that will allow them to pay like monthly for the next five years or something, then that would solve it for me. Interesting. Interesting. Well, cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself in today's podcast. Uh, be sure to check the show notes. I will add um, Howard Marks' memo in there if you aren't familiar with it. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to tweet it out as well at Focus Compound. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. And, of course, a rating interview goes a very long way for Jeff and myself on the podcast side of things. I want to thank everybody so much, and we will see you in tomorrow's podcast.